we're going to talk today about uh, some ethical teaching that the Apostle Paul does in this little book. And, um, you know, the Lord des desires for you and I to live with a sense of mission and purpose. Now, and I think that's regardless of what you do Monday through Friday. Um, I've met people from all kinds of um, walks of life in terms of profession that, that I get a sense are intentional and purposeful in their lives, regardless of where they get a paycheck from. So what would this look like if you were to try it? I, okay, so I can say this now, 20 years later, but I, I remember um, I would be um, doing something here when I was on staff at the church here. I can remember a couple of different things where I'd be in a, in, um, uh, a gathering of newcomers or whatever, and, and I remember sometimes I would say it out loud, but I would always think, you know, they pay me to get to do this. I literally had that feeling. If I told them how much fun this was, they would no longer pay me for doing this. So, um, and by the way, I feel that, feel that about us getting together on Sunday morning. So let's, let's kind of talk about here uh, this. Now, uh, I wrote some notes. What, think about the worst job you ever had and what made it so bad. Now, I think I thought of a couple, um, and from opposite ends of the spectrum, one of them, Wayne, when I was uh, working at a heat ground crew, and I just, I, I, I had to retire a pair of Levi's once a month because I had tar and stuff all over them and talcoat all over them and dirt, and I was dirty all the time, and it was hot, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing to start with, and and uh, I just remember that, it, okay, I was I took a check at the end of the week, but I really wasn't too happy doing what I was doing there. And then I remember, Rhonda, uh, 1978, maybe, 77, um, we were working at a church. We had to drive an hour one way to work at a church, and uh, we were doing music and kind of some, some youth stuff. And I remember talking to a, to a dear mentor in those days about my frustration with that church experience. And he kind of helped me unpack, uh, literally described it to uh, Dr. Dale Oldham. And Dr. Dr. Oldham said, well, here's the problem. And uh, you need to just resign and walk away. And I did, but I remember uh, that, that was my first trip out. I was talking to somebody this week. Um, you know, we, we still do a lot of training of, of ministers at, at Mid-America. And I remember talking to someone this week about the difficulty sometimes of your first stop in ministry. If it doesn't go well, you may not stay in ministry. And that's difficult. So we, we had kind of one of those, and we made it through it anyway. And the Lord uh, kind of used this anyway. But uh, so um, how would your attitude change if you had read this that we're getting ready to read? I'm going I'm to uh, cue up um, uh, Steve Blair in just a minute. We're going to start with about verse 22 and read through the first verse of chapter one of uh, chapter four. Um, mm -hmm. But um, in some ways, your attitude about your work may be more important than the work itself. If we get that wrong, if we get attitude wrong, the work will probably suffer too. There's two extremes 
that um, you might observe maybe at different times in your life. You dislike your work so much that you don't do a very good job at it. Okay, Or you draw too much self-worth from your work and then you ask the job to do for you something in your heart that it wasn't designed to do. Now, so what should we do? Well, I think we should and can draw some principles about work from Scripture. So, um, if you're retired in here, some of us are, you might want to think about, as Steve reads this, you might want to think about uh, the work that you still do, whether you're in a volunteer role or you're managing a household or you do yard work or, or any of that kind of thing. This teaching isn't just for people who are on their way building a career. It's for all of us. And so uh, let, let's go there. Steve, if you don't mind, I'm going to take you, if you will, or if you take us, to Colossians 3.22 and read down to 4.1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I mean, this is just wonderful ethical teaching, but it's going to mess us up if you get too hung up on the use of the language of slavery. Now, what we've got to say about this, in the Roman Empire, there were very few private employers who managed a large staff of paid employees. Um, whole industries, even though they might be owned by an individual or a family, were managed and maintained by slaves. This is just kind of how it was in that economy. Now, and that's to whom, that's the context in which Paul is working and writing here. There was a great diversity of both the skill of and the treatment of slaves in those days. And what you and I need to understand, I really believe this, is that Paul is not, um, he is not affirming the institution of slavery, but he's instructing Christians how to act within an existing system probably that he didn't like all that well. And so you and I, I think, can take this same teaching and, um, uh, and uh, instead of using the word master, use the word boss. Instead of the word slave, use the word, word employee. Now, um, um, it's interesting if you look at Paul's teaching in Philemon especially, and his teaching in Ephesians, we'll look at a little bit of that today, and look at his teaching here, uh, it's interesting that Paul kind of tacitly, in some ways, undermines the institution of slavery in a lot of ways. Uh, so we hope to use this uh, section to draw up principles about work life that we can learn. I began to wonder, and this wasn't... Uh, unique for me. It was actually coming from some, some commentaries I was reading. Could it be, okay, so you know what the book of Philemon is about. It's about a runaway slave who meets Paul and thereby meets Jesus. 
and he's sending him back, Onesimus, sending Onesimus back to his owner, Philemon, his boss, and saying, accept him as you would me because you owe me your very life anyway. Could it be that Paul's teaching here um, and his understanding of and his ethical treatment even of this slavery issue in the Roman Empire has a lot to do with his talks with Onesimus about what his life was like. I, th I think maybe so. I think that's, that's kind of a, a, a great thought to think. Paul met a guy who was a slave. They became great friends. Onesimus became a great church leader. Uh, look up his name. You can see what, what tradition tells us he did. He became a bishop. But at one point he met Paul, met Jesus and don't you know that Paul during that time said, okay, so why did you run away? Well, man, I'm a slave. Don't you know what slavery's like? So I, I think Paul understands it here. And we've got to extract ourselves a little bit from our thoughts about slavery from 200 years ago to in, in, in the U.S. to try to kind of get this. So let's, let's take a step back from that a little and talk about uh, what God says, what Paul says here through the inspiration of God about work. Now, so the first principle I think we can pull from this uh, comes from just that first verse, the 22nd verse that Steve read, slaves. So we could put in there, I think, um, uh, laborers, employees in all things, obey those who are your masters. So that could be bosses on earth not with external service of those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So the idea here, the first principle we're going to pull from this, is that um, who you work for gives work its meaning, not the actual work you do. All right? Um, I've probably told you this before. I know I've said it in other contexts. Sometimes a younger person will come to me and say, I just hate my job. Uh, when that's one of your kids, that makes it even harder, right? And I will say, okay, so I'm not sure I ever had the conversation with my grandfather of whether or not he liked his work. I'm not sure it was an issue in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, there wasn't this thought of I've got to have fulfillment and enjoyment and joy in my work. You, just, you were glad to be employed and get a check and move on, right? Um, but the truth is, sometimes I'll have to say to a younger person, you know, there's a reason they call work, work. You show up and do what you're supposed to do, whether you kind of like it on that particular day or not. So, um, so uh, who you work for gives work its meaning, kind of the idea there, not the actual work you do. Uh, and we, we read that verse together. Now, um, there's some things that jobs can do for us. There's some things they can't do for us. So notice here, um, um, he's using this thought of earthly uh, masters, I think. Does he use that, that term in here? Uh, masters on earth, earthly masters. Scott McKnight is going to say that um, he's reminding slaves that their task isn't for the glory of the boss or the glory of the master or for even the glory of Rome. It's not even to just maintain order, although he's discussing that a little bit here, but it's to point them to a heavenly master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, as we'll get there a little bit when we, when we come back to 4.1, 
There's a warning here to masters not to mistreat their slaves, but, but the teaching here is more to those of us who are employees. So he uses the thought here that some people work really hard when they know they're being watched or when a bonus is on the line, but the issue is whether or not I have sincerity of heart or I'm just giving a bare minimum effort. So Paul ratchets it up. He links sincerity of heart with holiness, with reverence for God. Uh, and you and I know that that word reverence or fear um, uh, kind of means this idea of an awesome and reverent regard for the Lord our Almighty. So work can be an act of worship, but I want to really be careful here because there is a tendency for us, especially in the U.S., it seems like to me, to worship our work. He's going after that too, okay? He's going after that too. All right, now, so let's, let's hit the second principle then. We're going we're gonna to go back to 323. How you work is more important far than where you work. Have you ever thought, and I, I referenced a couple of things um, from Wayne's life and mine in plumbing, and from Rondo's life and mine early on in ministry, have you ever thought, if I just was working at a different place, it'd be okay? Just working at a different job, I'll be all right, okay? And the problem is, you take the same attitude to the next place that you had at this place, you know? So, and, and all of a sudden, now I'm not happy there. I was telling somebody the other day, I had this funny thing happen um, when I was 17. I was, I was driving a truck for a guy, and... Um, uh, doing some warehousing work, and I remember just hating being dirty all the time, uh, kind of like I did when I was, you know, in a tailcoat bucket half of my life. And um, and then I and I thought if I could just get a job where I could wear a tie to work. Now I hate that. <laughs> you know, I would love to wear jeans to work. Okay, so you, you get the point. Now, how you work is far more important than where you work. Look at verse twenty-three again. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as from the Lord rather than from men. Now, so here's the idea with all your heart um, there, translated heartily in some of our, our verses. Um, um, so I'm going to do a rank paraphrase of the great theologian Johnny Paycheck. <laughs> Country singer. Remember Johnny Paycheck? I'm not going to say what he said. I'm going to change it. Take this job and love it. There you go. All right? It's kind of what Paul's saying here. Um, um, one of the ways to do this is to kind of identify what you naturally do and love to do. Who is someone you love doing things for? Why do you do what you do for them? Because you love them. Um, it's interesting. Sometimes you'll do something for somebody you love, and they'll say, what do you do that? And, and literally, the only answer is, well, because I, I love you. I love serving you. So what are some tasks or jobs that nobody has asked you to do, but you do them anyway, and you're kind of energized by that work? Um, how can I keep focus on God as I do work, especially when I'm not crazy about the work? Now, um, so one of the things I want to say to you is don't automatically think you're doing the wrong job. It may be I just need to be in a different place in my heart 
to get to that work heartily with all your heart. What about if you volunteer and you just I think it applies there too, Nadine. Yeah. You know, I really do. Don't you? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there, in, in fact, if you're not getting a paycheck these days for doing work, if you're retired, then I think I need to think about what am I volunteering at that I can do with my whole heart. Uh, when I was a kid, I began to think, I was, I was reading a, a book earlier in the week, uh, and they were telling a story in the book about um, a man who worked hard, hard all week, and when he came home, he immediately went to his garden because he had to feed his family. He got just bare minimum pay. This has been in the 1940s and 50s. He got bare minimum pay. And when he came home, he immediately went to the field until dark worked in the field. And it, it reminded me of my, dad, my mom's dad um, who uh, had a farm that he sharecropped down in Garvin County. And um, what I remember is this guy worked hard. Every, he was a farmer. Uh, he, he, he served in World War I and World War II and then became a farmer, um, farming property that he never owned. He never owned a piece of ground, never owned a home. But he would farm every day. And, and I remember going with him to the farm and his, uh, his work attire was a pair of khakis. What was it about guys back then in the 60s who wore khakis yeah. instead of jeans? But he wore khakis. Maybe he got used to that in service. I don't know. Wore khakis, and he'd have a shirt on, but he'd do his work with his shirt off and um, um, what I used to call an old man T-shirt. Oh. They call them these days wife beaters, and I don't like that. Okay? <laughs> and so that, and then he wore um, black dress shoes. Yeah because he had really small feet. His name was Roy Cherry. He had really small feet. He had to order his shoes. So he'd do work at the farm in last year's dress shoes. He'd order a pair of shoes every year. Okay? He wore up Dobbs, um, uh, in the summertime, straw hat. And he worked like crazy. I couldn't keep up with him. And every with every turn of a, of a hoe or a spade, you know what he did? Whistled. What was that from Snow White? Whistle while you work. Yeah. It kind of implied happiness. I think I, I didn't have to say to him, oh, "Papa, isn't it time to go to the farm? Don't you have stuff to do?" My uh, my. Um, um, uh, Step-grandmother, his, his wife, my mom's mom, died when my mom was four. And he got married like in his 60s, remarried not until his 60s. And I remember it wasn't Jewel who said to him, uh, Roy, you need to go to the farm. Nobody had to tell him to go out there. He worked all day long in heat so much that he almost died from an appendicitis at the farm. That was days before cell phones, right? Had a heart attack out there. And yet, Every day he was there, he whistled while he worked. I need to get there. I need to get there. Now, third concept here. God's reward is a lot more significant than any paycheck. Okay? Uh, God's reward is a lot more significant. I'm going to pick it up again in verse 24 
knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. That's talking about heaven, by the way. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he's done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves. Bosses, grant to your employees justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Okay, God's reward is more significant than any paycheck I would ever receive. Um, um, somebody, would somebody go over to Ephesians 6, 9? Cindy, can I get you to go to 6, 9? It's, there's a parallel passage right there. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, now, he says a similar thing here. Did you catch that? Treat your slaves same way. Uh, slaves were not paid. There was no expectation of uh, if you work for me all your life, you'll get an inheritance. You'll get part of, you know, uh, um, the bosses or the masters at this point, um, his uh, uh, estate. Master probably didn't say thanks for your hard work at the end of the day. In fact, if you didn't do something they liked, it did something they didn't like, it was probably going to be punishment that you're not going to like. Therefore, some slaves, like Onesimus, ran away. Um, but some of them found running away was much more dangerous than putting up with whatever was unpleasant about where I was working. Today, a lot of us feel underappreciated, underpaid, ill-used, um, I might feel stuck in the same tedious job doing work I don't like a whole lot, working with coworkers I don't like very much, for a boss I don't like very much. And about the only thing that keeps me there is I get a paycheck at the end of the week. That is not how God designed your life. Okay? Um, should we then, as a fallback, just sing Lover Boy's anthem? Everybody's working for the weekend. The problem with that is the weekend is way too short. Yes. Okay? And by, um, by Sunday evening, that has evaporated, and Monday comes along with rapid speed. But God can reward us in ways that last. Yeah. So, um, a reminder here, both to those of us who work and those of us for whom we work, that we all really are working for Jesus. There's, there's an interesting turn of phrase here in verse, um, um, i got to make sure, get, in verse 24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, it's interesting. Paul never says the word Lord and Christ without putting Jesus in between it, except here. It could be one comment, and I'll, I'll begin to think, what's the deal? N.T. Wright's going to say, um, um, he could be saying, so remember, you work for the true master, the true Lord, Christ. He's filling in his own blank there. All right? Now, if God is saying to those of us who lead, be fair, lead well, lead justly. And if he's saying to those of us who report to those who lead, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Then 
What are some kind of principles we can pull out of here? I want to pull four of them, and we're going to go to other places to kind of get background for it. So I'm going to ask a couple of you to, um, to look for some things. Sally, I'm going to pick on you. Would you go to Genesis 2.15? And then can I get somebody to go to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18 and 19? Uh, you know where to find Ecclesiastes 5, L-E. That'd be great. And then Titus 2, 9 and 10. Can I get that one? Cindy, thank you. And then we'll close with Matthew 6 and read 28 down through 34. Who will get that one? Mark, thank you. Okay, I think we got it here. So let's talk about how I can develop in the last 10 minutes or so we're together. How can I develop a practical theology of work? And we're going to use the scriptures. To, that This scripture is a background in the teaching we've done, and we're going to use some other things um, to kind of prop it up. So first of all, work is not a result of sin. It's a design from the Creator. You were made to do some kind of productive work. Now, this is kind of an interesting thought to me. Cindy, if you would, read from Genesis 2.15. Now, this is... I'm sorry, Sally. Uh, Sally, that's you. Um, uh, I knew it was over that way somewhere. Uh, This is before the fall. You know, if you're not careful, you'll think, well, work is just the result of the fall. Now, the truth is, harder work got harder after the fall, but listen to what God says as he places man in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Sally, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I guess I thought the Garden of Eden was a spa. (laughs) (laughs) You know, hanging out. Yeah. But it's interesting, God, this is before the fall, Wayne. God says, you know, till the ground, I'll help you. Work, you're going to like it. The work's good for you. By the way, if I had a dollar for every time my mother or my dad said, don't be lazy, work's good for you. Okay? They were godly people. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay? So the idea here is um, that, um, that work was not a punishment It's part of how God made me. So the idea here is uh, I need to figure out what kind of work God has called me to do and do it with all my heart. If, if uh, If I'm retired, I need to think, okay, what do I do that maybe not involve a paycheck, but would be a good way for me to give back. Um, for those of us who are not retired yet, I might need to imagine my retirement. What's the work I hope to be doing in that season of life? Okay. Second, Joy in our work and what it provides is a gift from God. Listen to how even Solomon deals with this as he's musing about all these things about life. Ellie, read Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18 and 19. Here's what I have seen to be good, and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he labors under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every person to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also given him the opportunity to enjoy them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Gift, joy, enjoy. All those words are in there talking about work. Even from Solomon, who was in a really funny place in his life when he writes this. Thinking back, not real happy about his life. So the idea here is, 
The ability to enjoy the resources that come from my work is a gift from God. And for those who enjoy their work, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Uh, thank God that, that um, in, in my world, uh, every Monday morning I meet with the team that I work with and we, we share prayer concerns, so a little, share a little devotion and pray together. Yeah, wonderful. And I'll say to the team I work with, yeah, wonderful it is that, that our institution pays us to go to chapel twice a week. That's part of, it's not only kind of a responsibility, expectation, it's a benefit. You know, that I don't have to clock out and go to chapel and clock back in when I come back, right? So the idea is, have you thanked God for your job? Probably to the extent that I'm not doing that kind of adds to my discontentment in that place, all right? Third, the quality of your work displays, at least to some degree, the quality of your faith, all right? Now, Titus 2, verse 9 and 10. Cindy, is that the one you got? Yeah. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. To make God attractive. Isn't that interesting? So the idea... Uh, a very sensible truth here. If a Christian complains about their work, they're sloppy at it, puts in minimal effort, and anybody wants to hear about them, um, kind of hears them complain about the work they're doing or, or the people who run this place, then I come right behind that and want to share Christ with them. Whoa. You know? It doesn't quite fit. Uh, the idea here is Paul is instructing us on workplace evangelism, and he's saying your work and how you do it is pre-evangelism. The quality of my work displays the quality of my faith. Now, last one. Income, we all like it, right? I've never turned down a check. <laughs> Income is a great resource, but it makes a really lousy idol. Okay? Makes a really lousy idol. Listen to this from, from Proverbs. This is from the 23rd Proverb. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they'll surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. There's a point of diminishing returns of wealth. Um, if in the process it breaks your health, it kind of... Uh, hurts your relationships or your faith, what good is it? So the idea, you remember Granny Clampett? Yeah. She was not happy with uh, having all that money. You remember they moved her cabin out by the cement pond. You remember that? Because she wasn't happy about all the money. And she would say on a regular basis, all right, Money is the root of all evil. That is not what the Bible says, by the way. The Bible says the money. So the idea is money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money, the craving for money that causes these issues. Now, would you believe that Jesus addresses this? In, uh, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount right squarely in the middle of it, Matthew 6. We're going to start at verse 28, and he's going to tell us about contentment 
and those kinds of things. And we're going to kind of close out there. Mark, start at verse 28 and go down to 34, if you will. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these, like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that all you need them that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and if all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's interesting. The people to whom Jesus was originally speaking did not live from paycheck to paycheck. They lived from sundown to sundown. Amen. Literally, they got paid every day for today's labor. Brad? But I swapped out a faucet. I got, you know, some money for that. Took it, fed my family with it. The next day, it's right back at it. Okay. Have you noticed I love plumbers? Yeah. Just love plumbers. So uh, 2,000 years ago, life was not even like it was now. There were no such thing as really bank accounts. There was, uh, although I have a friend here who didn't believe there was much good in banks either, and what, uh, I swear he had $2 million buried in, in a coffee can in his backyard. But day to day, and he addresses this, one bad crop away from starving, one bad day where I can't get enough work or they don't pay me enough and my family doesn't eat. Meanwhile, for most of us today, the worry isn't whether or not we'll have clothes or food or something to drink, but a preoccupation uh, with our own overwhelming choices. And we got a million of them. So to them and to us, Jesus speaks Matthew 6, Maybe you memorized it. Maybe you sang, seek ye first the kingdom. Okay, that was song, all right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, those things, will be added to you as well. What am I going to do with that? I'm going to realize that there is something that this book has to say about how I spend my days. There's something this book has to say about how I do work, whether I'm getting a paycheck for it or whether I'm volunteering for it. And I need to work at it, whatever it is, as if I'm working for him. All right. We'll pick it up in 4-2 next week, and we'll go right on. All right. Glad to see you today. Thanks for hanging out with me. <laughs>